welcome to another edition of Faith to Live By. I'm your host, Pam Christian. And if you're a returning listener and you like this program, I need you to tell your friends and family about it. I'm nearly halfway through a year-long commitment, and if I'm going to continue past that, I need to know enough of you are benefiting. And if you're new, then you need to know my entire goal is to help people discover and live in life-giving truth and to experience the victorious life Christ died to give us. As a charismatic apologist, my aim is to help us all find a good balance of spiritual experience and critical thinking. The Bible is clear. We are to worship God in spirit and in truth, which I understand to mean a balance of both spiritual experiences and intellectual understanding. Spiritual experiences without understanding can become something of a high. We seek for the sake of sensation. Jesus was clear to admonish those who seek after signs and wonders without seeking the source. Intellectual understanding without spiritual experience can become a source of pride and arrogance. The Bible clearly states, knowledge puffs up. This is why I seek to grow in my own balance and help others do likewise. Having the ability to spiritually connect with God and see His power manifest in and through us is exciting. But unless we understand the circumstances, the inroads the enemy has made, and God's strategy to redeem events, situations, and times, we can actually cause matters to become worse. I think of the account in Acts 19 when the sons of a Jewish high priest sought to deliver a man from demons. The evil spirit said to them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered them all, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. We can read about this in Acts chapter 19, verses 14 to 16. I don't know of a person alive today who isn't trying to make sense out of all that's going on in the world and as it's been playing out in our elections for president of the United States. Many otherwise strong charismatics who have enjoyed the experience of God's power at work in their midst in times past are not experiencing the confidence of their faith in this hour. They are instead given over to fear for lack of a proper understanding of the events, the times, the seasons, the strategy of the enemy, and the plans of God. It is this lack of cognitive understanding that has allowed the enemy to confound them, making their faith without impact. I come to you with this podcast asking you in all earnest to listen up, to deliberately choose to engage your cognitive abilities, your intellect, your rational mind, to gain practical understanding in order to wield your supernatural abilities in Christ. Only then can you find the courage and strength to worship God in both spirit and truth, the truth of the events, circumstances, situations, the realities of the scheme of the enemy from the days of old to this very day. Yes, Christ has won the victory of the war, but we are in the midst of a raging battle And unless we get our intel from Christ, the enemy will bring us to defeat in this particular battle. Last week, we explored the gift of prophecy. This week, I want to begin to explore the power of worship. But before we get into that, I want to announce this one last time. I'm holding a Christmas giveaway. There will be five winners of the brand new Thomas Nelson Abide Bible and two winners of my newly revised autographed book, Examine Your Faith, Finding Truth in a World of Lies. One of the endorsers is Josh McDowell, who is a well-respected apologist. 
It is the first in the series, and it offers many compelling evidences we should personally know, which would allow us to share the gospel with others. In other words, this book prepares us, according to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, to be prepared to give reasons why we believe in Christ. So, if you want a chance to win, you need to listen to the end of this podcast to learn how to enter. And make special note, entries are only accepted through the close of the day, December 16, 2020 with the winners announced on December 23rd of this year. Now, back to today's message. We know about our weapons of warfare that we need to use in spiritual battle as identified in Ephesians 6. However, our greatest weapon of warfare, which is not listed, is worship. And honestly, I'm not convinced our current church culture truly understands the impact and the power of worship. William Temple wrote, quote, To worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, to open the heart to the love of God, to devote the will to the purpose of God, The Bible reveals the character, will, and intentions of God, and one matter he makes clear, he's a jealous God. The first of the Ten Commandments God gave to Moses is, quote, You shall have no other gods before me. Exodus 20, verse 3. Let's take a few minutes to consider why God would find it important to instruct us not to worship any gods before him. Simply stated, God knows we become what we worship. God also knows what we worship is influenced in part by our carnal existence. When God created mankind in his image, his desire was to have a relationship with us. However, for any love or devotion or affection to be genuine, it must be freely given. God did not pre-program us to have a love for him because that would not produce genuine relationship. Instead, he has given each of his created beings free will choice. When Adam and Eve were enticed by Satan to reject God's instruction and instead chose their own way, Satan reasoned with them through their minds. Through rational thought, cognitive thinking, Satan had them reconsider God's claims all while appealing to the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Satan appealed to them through their minds while enticing their soul and their carnal being. It's the same way Satan continues to appeal and entrap people into his dark side to this very day. We are weak in areas of the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, even as born-again believers. Consider the strategy and power of modern-day advertising. What is the strategy of advertising? To appeal to our felt needs the areas of life where we feel we are deficient, areas where we would like to add value with the belief our life, our life experience, would be improved. And going a step further to sell goods and products, advertisers work to make us aware of a deficiency that without their input, we wouldn't have ever thought we needed to address. Isn't that the same tactic as the enemy of God used in the Garden of Eden? The control center of our beings is through our mind, which influences the rest of our soul and then determines our behavior. A quick review. As humans, we are made in the image of God. God is three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So God has made us three in one, spirit, soul, and body. Our spirit is that eternal part of us that allows us to communicate spirit to spirit. Our soul is the unique essence of who we are, which includes our mind, will, heart, emotions, and unique personality. Our body, well, it's simply the physical house for our spirit and soul. Again, the control center of our being is our mind. 
It's through the mind that our soul and spirit are impacted. What we see, hear, taste, smell, and feel are sensations processed in our mind based on the knowledge we have acquired. If the knowledge we've acquired is based on truth, then we have a better chance to process the experiences and choose right from wrong. So what about Adam and Eve? They were given knowledge directly from God, which was most definitely based on truth. Yes, but they had little experience. Experience allows us to confirm truth, so the enemy took advantage of their innocence while appealing to their carnal desires. It's the same way the enemy preys on the innocent to this very day. However, God loves us so much that he goes to great lengths to redeem us from the enemy. To Adam and Eve and all of the Old Testament, he promised to send a redeemer. Those who wanted to be restored in right relationship with God simply needed to believe God for his word, to believe in the coming Messiah by faith. To those of us in the New Testament, the promise is the same, but we look back on the birth, life, death, and resurrection of the Messiah, the Christ, by faith. Salvation or redemption unto God is always a matter of faith. While we enjoy the transformative salvation of our spirit, our carnal man, that is our natural man, is a matter we must continue to deal with. The goal is to bring our mind, will, and soul under subjection of our new spirit. Scriptures instruct us to renew our mind, which is the intentional effort of bringing every thought captive to the Word of God. We are instructed to guard our hearts, which is to protect our soul from being harmed by worldly ideals, philosophies, and deceptions. We want to intentionally partner with the indwelling Holy Spirit to renew our minds and transform our soul to be more fully influenced by our new spirit than the world. Then, what is next to occur is our bodies, that is, our chosen behaviors, adjust in keeping with our new spirit. For many, the transformation of our mind and soul is far easier said than done. We are still allured by the lusts of the eye, the lusts of the flesh, and the pride of life, even as transformed believers. And as humans, we have an innate desire to want to worship something or someone. It's a God-given impulse that is good and right and satisfying, but only when it is directed toward the one true God. With the pride of life, the lust of the eye, and the lust of the flesh, we can quickly be attracted to worship people and even things other than God. The warnings against such idolatrous worship are many and serious. The Bible states, You shall have no other gods before me. Exodus 23. You shall not make idols for yourself or erect an image or pillar, and you shall not set up a figured stone in your land to bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. Leviticus 26.1. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Deuteronomy 8.19. And as Tim Tomlinson, president of Bethlehem College and Seminary wrote, quote, So while we are to enjoy the delights of this world that the Lord has made, we must ever be on guard against our natural tendency to turn the enjoyable things into idols. May the Lord grant us the wisdom to see such idolatry and to crush it before it crushes us. End quote. Just as there is power in the tongue that leads to life or death, Proverbs 18.21, so is there power in worship that leads us to life or death. God's warning in Deuteronomy 8:19 that when we worship idols we shall surely perish is not necessarily God stating he will cause us to die, although he did impose the penalty upon those worshiping the golden calf 
while Moses was up on Mount Sinai. We read about that in Exodus chapter 32. But Hugh Ross states that he is also pointing out that the person or thing we worship, if it is not God, will lead us to destruction. Hugh Ross wrote a good article answering the question, why did God kill all those people described in the golden calf story in Exodus 32? I'll have a link to that in the show notes for you to study further. The first three of the Ten Commandments God gave to Moses are all about our proper worship of God. These, with the next seven, are instructions given to us from God, our Creator, who knows our weaknesses. His Ten Commandments are given to us so we can enjoy the greatest life possible. They were also given so we could recognize our weaknesses and deliberately choose His strengths instead. Consider the weaknesses of the Israelites, who only 40 days after Moses presented the first set of tablets with the Ten Commandments, believing Moses must have died, asked Aaron to fashion for them a golden calf to worship. Even if Moses had died, God hadn't. That, to me, reveals their worship was more of Moses than God. Recall, the people looked to Moses as the primary intermediary between them and God. Their mistake was seeing their intermediary rather than God as the initiative for revelation through Moses. According to Lazar Gurkow, quote, For them, it was not God who had brought them out of Egypt by means of Moses, but Moses who had influenced God to redeem them. They did not understand that man has direct access to God and that it is God, not man, who establishes the actions and instruments through which God can be reached, end quote. What about us today, even as Christian believers? Do we have a tendency to worship the intermediaries? That's fine if we recognize the intermediary is Jesus alone. But sadly, we see many people today who are impressed by their pastors, their worship leaders, the people who are leading them instead of the one who is inspiring and equipping the leaders. And even more, we have many Christian leaders who not only don't mind the admiration, but encourage it and thrive on it. Who or what we worship should be a far greater consideration than I think we give in our modern-day church culture. In an earlier podcast, I stated a false prophet is one who leads people away from God. In the same manner, an unworthy leader is one who does not give all the glory to God, but accepts a measure of worship unto himself. I love the transparency of Matt Redman, who wrote the song, The Heart of Worship, sharing the reason he wrote the song in the lyrics itself. If you're not familiar with this truly anointed song, I'll have a link where you can hear it and learn more in the show notes. In fact, I'm listening to it right now as I prepare this podcast. I believe much of what we are seeing today with the exposure of corruption within all the seven mountains of society is God revealing where people have come to worship false gods, gods of fame, fortune, power, and the like. God is a jealous God, but he is also a God of justice. And as painful as this year has been, Looking at all from the perspective of the third heaven, God is exposing corruption and idol worship of all kinds to bring his justice upon the whole world. God will share his glory with no man. While he corrects those he loves, he also deals with those who oppose him and leads his people astray. I think it's important for us to do a regular examination of our adoration and worship to make certain we do not have any divided allegiances or idols in our life that are leading us away from the truth, away from God. It's far better for us to seek the Holy Spirit to make us aware so we can willingly repent than for God to have to discipline us. Now, 
Having considered our weaknesses when it comes to worship, let's explore the power of God we can uniquely experience in proper worship of Him. Ephesians 6 lists the specific armor for spiritual warfare, which includes the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the feet that are shod with the readiness of the gospel, the shield of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And, fully dressed in this armor, we must stand confident, immovable, in order to have a victory over the devil's schemes. I find it interesting what is not listed is worship. Worshiping God in spirit and in truth, that is a wholly devoted praise and worship of God, and not a divided allegiance of any kind. And this kind of worship is exceptionally powerful. How can we know if we're worshiping God with the right motivation? Well, as humans, we have two types of motivation, extrinsic and intrinsic. A healthy blend of both is conducive to success. Extrinsic motivation is the desire to perform a behavior in an effort to receive external rewards or avoid any threatened punishment. It's a rationed and reasoned motivation. Intrinsic motivation, in sharp contrast, is an innate or intrinsic desire to perform a task for its own sake. Intrinsic motivation reflects the desire to do something because it's pleasant or fulfilling, regardless of any additional benefits or challenges. Labors of love would be considered intrinsic motivation, doing something for the good results, even if it is costly or demanding to do so. Both our extrinsic and intrinsic motivations reveal the depths of our heart. A person who operates with an emphasis on extrinsic motivation can become self-serving. However, a person who emphasizes intrinsic motivation can become selfless to the point of their own demise. So again, a balance is what we should seek. What about you? When you worship God, what is your motivation? Why do you take time and effort to worship? Answering the why question may reveal you could use more understanding about true biblical worship. Did you know that genuine worship opens the heavenly realm to help us overcome? It changes the atmosphere. It partners with the prophetic. It is a spiritual act, and it repels the enemy and wards off his attacks. Did you also know worship is our passionate duty? It's something for which we need a genuine zeal, and it's a freedom to be enjoyed. So let's start with the foundation of a proper worship. Richard Foster, author of Celebration of Disciplines, A Path to Spiritual Growth, wrote, quote, To worship is to experience reality, to touch life. It is to know, to feel, to experience the resurrected Christ in the midst of a gathered community. It's a breaking into the Shekinah of God, or better yet, being invaded by the Shekinah of God, end quote. Shekinah means the glory or the radiance of God, his dwelling in the midst of his people. It's the immediate presence of God. While we can experience the Shekinah glory of God when we worship in private, there is something greater we experience when we are in corporate worship. Worshiping God in private helps us cultivate the ability to confidently hear God's voice. This in turn allows us to better distinguish his voice from the blare of everyday life and the onslaughts of the clamoring competitive voices of the enemy. Certainly, this year of 2020, we have experienced a nearly deafening cacophony of enemy voices attempting to drown out the voice of God to confuse God's people 
and cause them to succumb to fear, stripping them of their ability to operate in the power of Christ. Let me help you gain understanding of what has been taking place this year especially, so you can be properly equipped with knowledge. Armed with knowledge, you will be fortified in the faith and restored to your rightful place in God's army, working with all the saints to overcome the enemy. The restrictions placed on us about meeting in our houses of worship under the claim of COVID-19 should be seen for what they are, the effort of the enemy of God to render God's people impotent. Of all businesses and organizations, certainly the church is the most essential. Yet oppressive government seeking to overpower what they perceive to be a threat to their ideals has attempted to prevent us from meeting to worship. The enemy of God, Satan, knows the power of corporate worship, and he has worked through people he controls to oppress the church. Pastor Che An from Harvest Rock Church in Pasadena, a well-respected pastor who is both evangelistic and charismatic, spoke about the limitations the church has been subjected to under the guise of COVID-19 safeguards. As one whose family is from the communist country of North Korea, Pastor Ahn is uniquely able to provide insight to what is occurring in America and particularly in California. He explained, the aim of socialism and communism is to eliminate the influence of the church because they know we answer to a higher power. With socialism and communism, the state is the highest power. By shutting down the church, the state has no dissent. What we're experiencing this year with the pandemic of COVID-19 is the rise of those in positions of government and financial power who actually believe in socialism and communism who are attempting to undermine America and replace our religious liberty and constitutional republic to a socialist communistic state in keeping with the plans of many to form a one-world order. As Pastor Cheon explained in his message to the Embraced Church on December 6th, mandates that have been made against the church have been excessive when compared to mandates on other businesses and organizations because the church must be controlled first. While the following sequence of events is mostly specific to California, I ask you to observe events in your own state, especially if your state is controlled by Democrats, because it has been exclusively democratically controlled states who have promoted the greatest imposition on churches. Now, I've done my best to piece together the events to share here. However, I don't assert that this report is 100% accurate. Rather, it's a close accounting of events. I will provide links where you can conduct additional study on your own. But it began in California like this. In March, Governor Newsom required churches to be restricted in their operations as non-essential businesses. Cheon and his church continued to meet following all social protocols for distancing and wearing masks and so on. Then, July 6th, Governor Newsom announced a mandate to discourage singing or chanting in churches, citing the risk of spreading the coronavirus. Then, on July 13th, Newsom mandated no worship services, not even in home Bible studies and fellowship meetings. This mandate against the churches was ordered while Newsom made no attempts to stop the protests in which people are crowded together, many of them not wearing masks. Concerning home Bible studies, Newsom argued he has authority to prohibit home fellowship groups. As to protests, 
Newsom publicly encouraged them, saying, God bless you, keep doing it. On August 13, the Pasadena assistant prosecutor in the criminal division sent Harvest Rock Church and Pastor Cheon a letter demanding that all in-person worship services cease. The letter threatens daily criminal charges and fines to Pastor On, the church, staff, and parishioners. The letter states that each criminal charge is punishable by up to one year in prison. Governor Newsom ordered attendees of churches that do not follow the mandate to be subjected to a fine of $1,000 for each service they attended and the pastor would be arrested. This means California was willing to arrest law-abiding citizens while releasing convicted criminals from prison all because of COVID-19. Pastor Cheon explained when Governor Newsom sought to shut down the churches, they decided they would continue to meet because Newsom was contradicting himself. The riots over George Floyd were happening in Los Angeles, and Newsom was commending them for their First Amendment rights. The question for Cheon and his congregation was concerning their First Amendment rights. In response, with the help of Matt Staver from Liberty Council, Pastor Cheon filed a preliminary injunction to prevent fines and arrests, requesting no action be taken until the federal case is settled. The federal judge did not allow the injunction on the basis of Harvest Rock Church failing to provide notice to Newsom of either its lawsuit or motion for a temporary restraining order. The judge ordered the defendants to be served with the complaint and motion no later than July 27th and gave Newsom until August 3rd to file a response. In the meantime, Calvary Chapel in San Jose, California was fined $100,000. The Monday following, Governor Newsom responded to Pastor Cheon's request for injunction. The next day, Tuesday, Pastor Cheon was encouraged to quickly respond to Newsom's mandates, and on Wednesday, the courts placed the lawsuit at the top of the docket, and by the end of the day, the ruling was made that there would be no arrests. You need to understand, this is exceptionally rare. An attorney of 41 years explained that only 1 to 2% get injunctions granted before the appeals court hears the case. Now that the order has been issued, the appeal can proceed. Liberty Council will also file an injunction pending appeal. Liberty Council founder and chairman Matt Staver said, quote, The Supreme Court has clearly stated that under the First Amendment, the state cannot prohibit people from attending church against their will. Yet that is what Governor Newsom has done. The church has been essential for 2,000 years, and the First Amendment recognizes that the free exercise of religion is essential. The church is now more essential than ever because there are so many hurting people, especially in California, where the governor has decimated the economy and hurt many people by his draconian restrictions. End quote. The next step for Pastor Cheon is their case being heard by the Supreme Court. In the meantime, in October, Jewish synagogue and Catholic groups happened to sue New York State over Governor Cuomo's attempt to ban worship meetings and restrict religious gatherings. Near the end of November, the Supreme Court, with a ruling of 5-4, to four, blocked COVID limits on New York's churches and synagogues overturning Governor Cuomo's efforts, which in turn will work in favor of Pastor Cheon's efforts in California. Can you see through this unusual sequence of events how God is honoring those who are making certain their right, their God-given right to worship is not interfered with? 
We need to understand the strategy of those who want to overturn our constitutional republic and why they have unfairly targeted the church and our worship. And if we want to continue to enjoy our religious freedom, we must put on the full armor of God, knowing worship itself is our most powerful tool. California is second only to Texas for states with the most evangelicals. California is targeted because, as a Democratic-run state, if they are successful here, they will establish a precedent for success in all the other states. Yet, with California having such a great number of evangelicals, only a handful of churches had the backbone to oppose the governor. Fear of the state already exists in California, and this must be stopped. This must be reversed. We are to have no other gods before the one true God, and that includes the state. So, my point is to reveal the power of genuine worship. With all the effort of the enemy to close down the churches and to prevent us from worshiping, we have ample evidence as to the tremendous power of worship. I have more to say about the power of worship, which I look forward to bringing you next week. Now, about my Christmas giveaways. Did you think I forgot? <laughs> Not a chance. From now until December 16th, you can enter for a chance to win one of my special Christmas giveaways. To enter, email me at faithtoliveby at pamelachristianministries.com with the word Christmas in the subject line and your name and your ground mail address provided in the body of the email. I will be awarding two signed copies of my newly revised book, Examine Your Faith, Finding Truth in a World of Lies, and five other winners will be awarded the grand prize of the new Abide Bible from Thomas Nelson. This is a beautiful Bible designed to help you really engage your life with the scriptures and to experience the transforming power of God's Word. Want a second chance to be a winner? Well, subscribe to my bi-monthly e-newsletter joining any time between November 1st and December 16th to double your chances. Just visit my website, faithtoliveby.com, and use the subscription box in the sidebar. Subscribers in the drawing will be contacted by email to get their ground address to mail your prize if your name is drawn as one of the winners. Contest entries are accepted only through December 16th, with the gifts awarded December 23, 2020. So don't delay. Get your name in the drawing today. I am really looking forward to this. Faith to Live By is a division of Pamela Christian Ministries, LLC, a ministry that offers many different goods and services. I invite you to take a visit at my main website, PamelaChristianMinistries.com. Be sure to take advantage of the free resources and the bonus items listed on Charisma Podcast Network and on my website, FaithToLiveBy.com. On that landing page, there is a link and more information about my sponsors and partners. Again, if you've been blessed by my ministry, purchasing the goods and services I bring to you is really appreciated. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your review helps the show reach more people and spread the gospel, and for people to learn how to best apply their Christian faith. Be sure to follow me on Facebook at Faith to Live by TV, on Twitter at PL Christian, and on LinkedIn at Pamela Christian. And lastly, visit my page for this show at faithtoliveby.com to enjoy all of the podcasts we've produced so far. I hope you'll join me next week and tell your friends and family to listen right here on Faith to Live By, where we learn how to gain spiritual victory over life's issues. Until next week, I'm Pam Christian, 
asking you to remember, Christ died for us. The least we can do is live for Him.